This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, April 24, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. The High Court handles several cases dealing with the Fourth Amendment this term. Ilya Shapiro, Cato Senior Fellow in Constitutional Studies and editor of Cato's Supreme Court Review, comments. So the Fourth Amendment, uh, in relevant part, guarantees us uh, the freedom from unreasonable searches and seizure by the government. Um, it means that uh, usually the government needs a warrant. Uh, sometimes there are exceptions to the warrant rule. Like, for example, if a cop is chasing a criminal and he runs into his house, they don't need to get a warrant before they pursue the, the guy into his house. Or if you consent, obviously, the cop can search you. Or um, there, there's other suspicions. If they see something, um, something a little off when they stop you for a for a police stop in your car, they can you know, ask you to step out or look inside your car if they have a reasonable suspicion that, that uh, something criminal might be going on. So this, uh, this term, there are five Fourth Amendment cases. Uh, the Roberts Court generally is kind of establishing um, a fairly middle road view of the Fourth Amendment. Um, not too many uh, stark divisions uh, on the court. Uh, Alito is generally the most pro-government on, on these types of cases. Stevens is generally the most pro-defendant. Um, but there's not that much disparity. A lot of unanimous or not, um, not too split rulings. Um, this year, there are a few cases which are producing sp- split rulings. Uh, in January, in the case of Herring versus the United States, uh, the court ruled that uh, the exclusionary rule doesn't apply when a policeman in the next county makes a mistake about a warrant. So in this case, Mr. Herring was stopped by a policeman who called in to his dispatch to see if there were any outstanding warrants. They checked with a neighboring county, which had a computer record uh, that was erroneous about about this guy, a, a warrant that, that should have been quashed. Uh, but the uh, the, the policeman working the computer, um, you know, told them that there was an outstanding warrant. He was arrested, and of course, uh, drugs were found. There are always drugs cases. Um, and he, uh, you know, moved to quash the evidence of the drugs. And the court, by a 5-4 to four vote, uh, refused to apply the exclusionary rule uh, because, uh, in Chief Justice Roberts' opinion, the error was isolated negligence attenuated from the search. And, quote, to trigger the exclusionary rule, police conduct must be sufficiently deliberate that exclusion can meaningfully deter it, and sufficiently culpable that such deterrence is worth the price paid by the justice system. So, of course, we're always balancing, you know, do we let clearly guilty people off on a technicality uh, versus we want to prevent police abuses and arresting and searching people willy-nilly? Um, I think it's a close call, and I agree with the court on this one. I think my colleague Tim Lynch might narrowly go the other way, but it's a close call about where you draw the line for the exclusionary rule generally. And I think here, precisely because the error in the computer of the neighboring county was so attenuated from what the arresting officer was doing, I don't think you're really going to get at the arresting officer's negligence by applying the exclusionary rule here. So I think the court got that right, but it's a very close case. And there's disputes really about whether the, how significant this case is going forward, whether it's just something isolated about this weird occurrence or whether the court is going to start uh, chipping away further at the exclusionary rule. And we'll have articles, two of them, in the Supreme Court Review on uh, that issue. On Tuesday, the court uh, uh, issued a, a ruling uh, that was five to four as well, with kind of an odd bedfellow alignment here, and that uh, uh, limited 
the scope of vehicle searches. So in this case, uh, Arizona versus Gantt, Mr. Gantt was arrested, placed in the police cruiser, locked up, handcuffed, you know, in the cruiser, and then they searched his car and found drugs, of course. Um, and the court narrowly decided that this was improper because the purpose of having a vehicular search is to uh, prevent the, the RST from having access to weapons or otherwise hiding evidence of a crime, etc., etc. And here, um, the, the ruling was that officers who lack a warrant can search the passenger compartment uh, after the occupant is arrested, only if it's reasonable to believe that the person can still gain access to the vehicle or if the vehicle contained evidence relevant to the arrest. Here, his original arrest wasn't for drugs. It was for, I think it was for driving on a suspended license. And, you know, he was properly arrested for that. But again, he had no access to whatever they were look, could look for in the car. And uh, they weren't going to find evidence of his suspended license by, by searching further. In fact, the police, when asked, uh, you know, said, on what justification were you were you doing this? Why were you looking in this car? And they said, well, because the, the law allows us to. And here the court says, no, the law does not allow you to do that. And interestingly, um, Scalia and Thomas joined the majority on, on this case and uh, with uh, Souter, Ginsburg, and Stevens, whereas Breyer, who's traditionally on the liberal side, joined the dissent uh, joined uh, Justice Alito's dissent, uh, saying that the police were justified in, in doing this. Um, and the dissent uh, was basically based on um, uh, the precedent, the longstanding 27-year-old precedent um, that police had kind of expansive powers to, to search vehicles. Um, the, uh, the majority disagreed with that. Uh, and again, this kind of uh, stare decisis issue, I think, uh, preserving the, the old precedent was what caused this weird confluence of justices. Uh, the other case I want to talk about was argued on Tuesday, the same day Gantt was decided, and this is a case in which uh, we actually filed a brief. This is uh, Safford Unified School District versus Redding out of Arizona. In this case, a it's in a middle school in, in Arizona, a 13-year-old uh, a girl was caught red-handed with prescription ibuprofen. And of course, the school district has a zero-tolerance policy on guns and drugs and all the rest of it, and prescription ibuprofen is uh, verboten. So, um, you know, she was caught red-handed with it, and she said that one of her classmates, one of her putative friends, Savannah Redding, was the one who gave her this uh, illegal uh, contraband. So they uh, searched Savannah Redding's backpack, didn't find anything. Uh, then they took her into the nurse's office and searched her outer clothing, didn't find anything. And then they had her um, uh, stretch her, her bra and, and expose her, stretch her panties so that exposing her genital area and her, and her breasts, uh, you know, shaking her underclothing so that the, the nurse and another female school official could, could inspect uh, her body to see if there's any contraband there. Um, and then uh, was kept in the principal's office for another few hours without having her mother being called uh, or anything else. Um, and no further drugs were, were found. Uh, nobody else was strip searched. Um, uh, Savannah's mother and, and Savannah filed a lawsuit alleging that her Fourth Amendment rights uh, were violated in this case. Um, uh, wanted to uh, recover damages from the school board and the school officials. And uh, Cato argues that uh, the, the, the search was, um, well, it was obviously egregious. It was, it was beyond the scope of what it needed to be. But the difficulty here isn't just in the court 
uh, having to issue a ruling about, well, was this search justified or not? It's laying down uh, a rule that school officials in future can follow because, of course, school officials do, under existing precedent, uh, have discretion and authority to um, preserve the, the health and safety of their students in their school. So, um, what we think should happen um, is that um, the, the court should lay down a rule that the searches, strip searches are reasonable only when school officials have highly credible evidence, something more than a schoolmate uh, you know, accusing, trying to, trying to defer blame onto someone else, Credible evidence that, first of all, the student in question is in possession of this contraband that poses a significant danger to the school. And secondly, that the student had actually hidden the objects in a place that only a strip search will uncover. So here, you know, who knows if the students would want to ingest pills that were, you know, hidden in somebody's underwear or so forth. Um, you know, here there's insufficient basis for the strip search, you know, the, the evidence on, on which they... they uh, performed it was insufficient, and um, it was disproportionate to the investigation. I mean, if there was a ticking time bomb that was, you know, tiny or something, let's suppose that there was technology to have, you know, miniature ticking time bombs or something, and they needed to find this before the school exploded, well, that would probably be more justification um, than, you know, there's ibuprofen out there. If the danger is prescription ibuprofen being distributed, well, isolate the student, call their parent, you know, what have you. Um, here, you know, this was just wrong on, on so many levels. Ilya Shapiro is a senior fellow in constitutional studies at the Cato Institute and editor of Cato's annual Supreme Court Review. You can get your copy of the review at Cato.org.